The death toll in Gaza has passed a pretty grim milestone this morning and we want to cross to Jonathan Kersley, Channel 9's US correspondent. Good morning, Jonathan. Hello, mate. Welcome. Crazy and Lisa, good morning to you both. Jonathan, the Israeli mm-hmm. forces are well and truly in the centre of the city of Gaza. Now, what what is likely to happen from here? Well, that's anybody's guess now. I mean, for a number of days now, the uh, IDF, the Israeli Defence Forces, have said essentially they had Gaza circled. Now they say they are closing in on the Strip itself and essentially have this place surrounded. Now, weeks ago when this conflict first started, they asked people to move from the north of Gaza to southern Gaza, where there are now real concerns over a humanitarian crisis that could unfold there in the days and weeks ahead. The IDF still maintains it is about trying to crush Hamas, but we now know that 10,000 uh, people, it has been claimed by the Hamas-run Palestinian Health Authority uh, that 10,000 people in Gaza have been killed in a month. The IDF says it's hit 14,000 terrorist targets in that time and is this morning adamant that they do not want to see an ongoing occupation of Gaza. You may remember 15 years or so ago, Israel moved out of Gaza uh, and occupying that area. Mm. Uh, now they are uh, saying that they, that they do not want to go back, but there has to be questions asked now about what is the end game because if the end game is to just leave that land vacant well I can't see how that strategically or politically works for either side uh, in the decades ahead and then you've got these thousands of people who have been displaced from their homes this is a 40 kilometer stretch that has two million people inside it and right now so many of them can't get back into their own homes because they have been bombed they Mm. have been blown up Mm. Uh, and still this war just goes on day by day and it seems to get more and more tense hour by hour on the ground, even though Israel uh, says it is making inroads on Hamas and is now uh, within sight of the Gaza uh, Strip itself. Mm. Yeah, it comes down to fundamental uh, things that we appreciate and well, mm-hmm. we take for granted in somewhere like Australia, Jonathan, the fundamentals, you know, the shelter and the mm. food and that. Just people getting through and to have no home to go back to must be absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah, and, and, and it is. And we know that there are still Australians trapped inside Gaza too because mm. the Rafa crossing, which is the crossing of the southern end of the Strip uh, into Egypt, has largely been closed for pretty much the entire time this conflict has been going on, albeit uh, for a, a few hours for some uh, so some civilians to get out, but also uh, for aid to get in. But even then, that took weeks before that could even take place. So now governments are still holding out some sort of hope that the crossing can be reopened, allow foreign civilians, foreign citizens, dual nationals out of that area. And then the question is next, once the IDF are done with the north of Gaza, what happens after that? Do they move to the south? Uh, Is there an effort to try and contain this all in the north? And really, this war, Israel has said, could drag on for weeks and months, Mm. and they may well be right in that. But we have a situation now, too, where the US President Joe Biden is desperately urging uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli Prime Minister, to hold off to have a three-day pause. Mm. Essentially, that is try and get some of the hostages that Hamas took a month ago. There's still 250 citizens or so being held by Hamas inside Gaza. Uh, so that, that would be an effort to try and get some of them out. But you can imagine, too, the American president might be hoping a three-day pause leads into a longer pause that might eventually, at some stage, lead to a ceasefire. Because while all these lives continue to be lost on the ground, uh, both Palestinian lives and, uh, and Israeli soldiers, too, um, there is a lot of concern from the United States about how this could play out, not just in a broader context of a regional war, but where does this leave 
the population leaning in towards in terms of is its view more in support of Israel or is it more in support of Palestinians? We've certainly seen huge protests from uh, pro-Palestinian supporters right around the world. At the White House, they plastered red hands on mm. the front walls of the White House to accuse the Biden administration of having blood on their hands. So there is an mm. anger about this uh, pro-Israeli position that has been built by Western governments. That's not to say uh, that people are being anti-Semitic on that front, but here you are dealing with a conflict that goes back decades, and it goes back empires, realistically, uh, when you look at the conflict within this region. So this isn't over by a long stretch, and there's strong words and actions from both sides still, though, at the heart of all of this. People are dying on the ground. You pretty much uh, answered the question that I was about to ask you because on the Al Jazeera site this morning, I I saw the headline, Democratic Party still strongly pro-Israel but shifting. So, yes, there's there's never any just straight-up guarantee Mm. of that alliance, although it is, of course, very strong. Where does the concern about other countries being dragged into all of this stand today, Jonathan? Well, what you've seen over the course of the last few days, again, the US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, has been hopping his way around a lot of the Middle Eastern countries, trying to get a sense, I suppose, of the mood that is on the ground and feed that back directly to Joe Biden. Because initially it was concerns that we would see some sort of attack launched by pardon me, either Iran or Mm. by uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon. Still, that is where the main area of concern lies. The other aspect with this, too, is that the United States forces uh, in Iraq and Syria, of which they have held those forces in those countries for a significant period of time, those forces have come under attack. There's been something like 40 attacks from drones, uh, on US forces and coalition forces in those areas over the course of the last 30 days or so. And there have been a number of US soldiers who have been injured in this. Uh, there haven't as yet been fatalities, but obviously the Pentagon is keeping a very, very close eye on this. There is still great concern that this could broaden out into a much more broader Middle East conflict. I mean, last week, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu described it as a holy war. Well, if it's going to get into mm-hmm. a holy war... That is a much more messier situation, uh, tragically, than what it already is now. If you look at an all-out regional conflict in the Middle East, well, that would be devastating. The prospect of Iran being involved would lead to the US being involved, and you just move up the scale of the chaos and the disaster from there on in. So, yes, there is a lot of anger right now about uh, the, the, the situation that is unfolding on the ground, both inside Gaza and inside Israel. People are trying to maintain an argument that, yes, what Hamas did was awful, but at the same time, the loss of innocent lives inside Gaza uh, is is unacceptable too. And it yeah. is that balance in the language that is becoming so critical to find on the global stage. Yeah. This is an issue that the, the president is going to have to try and deal with in the days and weeks ahead. But it's not just the US. I mean, you've got Australia's leaders are being urged to change their position of support too. This is a very delicate regional global situation at the moment. Yeah, it is in the balance. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, like world leaders and, uh, you know, few foreign ministers are having their say around the planet. But even, you know, former President Barack Obama's yeah. chipped in. Does that, does that help when Barack Obama says, look, nobody's hands are clean in this? Everyone wants to have their say, of course. Yeah, uh, uh, again, I think I think you're right on this, Claudia. I mean, what you're looking at is a situation where everybody now wants to say their piece, yeah. if you yeah. like. And Barack Obama... <laughs> Scott Morrison was there the other day. Mm. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, mm. Barack Obama was a two-term president of the United States. He had issues in trying to deal with the Middle East mm. Uh, mm. situation and a push for a two-state solution of his own. Yeah. And he did say in those comments, he did look back and wish there were things he'd done differently. I think that too is worth taking into perspective in all of this. He's not just out there trying to say, here's what should be done, here's what needs to be done now. There is a sense of reflection from him too that he wishes he could have done things differently to not get to this position. But right now, global leaders have to accept that the position that they are in now uh, is one that cannot go on. And somehow there needs to be a move for change. What is that change and how do you get there? The large acceptance is for a two-state solution, but if you can't get the main parties on the ground to agree to that, it just remains very, very difficult to see how you get any step forward on a path to peace in a region that has seen so much conflict. Yeah. All right. Well, Jonathan, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your update today. Always good to talk to you and your listeners.